Welcome to the Successful Women Show. Our mission is to help women in their careers, women in business, and women who aspire to become business owners live their dreams and reach their goals. I'm Dr. Madeline Ann Lewis, your host. You know, in today's modern society, women often face challenges that can sometimes make them feel less of themselves. I understand how it feels to go through tough times. And I also believe as women, we have come too far to quit. This show is dedicated to my mom, Lily Lewis. She was my inspiration, my champion, my role model growing up. And you know, at the time, I did not realize that my mom did not have the same opportunities that women have today. I remember as a child that my mom worked two jobs to keep our household going. My father during our earlier years was not around. So, you know, she was the sole income in our home. I saw the sacrifices that my mom made for my sister and I to have the things that we needed. Life was not easy for her, but she always let us know that we could be whatever we wanted to be, that you never give up on your dreams and that you never quit. So this is what I want women to know. You can do it. You can have a stellar career. You can be the CEO of your own business and you can have a great life. It just takes faith, perseverance, and a belief in you. So welcome again to the Success for Women show. We have a phenomenal guest for you today. Our guest is Dr. Mary N. Gilliam. Uh, and she raised, she was raised in a rural town in North Carolina. Dr. Mary Gilliam is a former member of the Senior Executive Service Corps with the Department of Defense at the Pentagon and she's a retired Air Force Colonel, a woman after my own heart, I might add. She is the epitome of what faith, hard work, and a commitment to excellence can do. Although she was raised by her blind paternal grandmother, she grew up picking cotton and held her first full-time job at 11 years of age, working as a cook in a highway cafe, Dr. Gilliam never forgot from where she came from. So I know I could go on and on about her background. She has a lot of uh, uh, accolades. Uh, she has some books that she's written that we're gonna get her to tell us about. But I just wanna bring her on, introduce her right now, and just let her tell us Give us um, that, who is Dr. Miriam, uh, Mary M. Gilliam? Tell us who that is. Who is that person? Just give us that background. Um, you could tell a story better than I can. So let us know who you are. Uh, Dr. Lewis, I do want to thank you for this opportunity uh, to be on your show. I really love your story. And uh, it sounds a lot like mine, even though, like you said in your uh, opening, I was raised by my paternal grandmother. And I just love to uh, share a little bit about her story because uh, here this lady was um, married at 14. And then she uh, gave birth to 17 children. And yes, 
throwback 17. And then her husband died and she was about 48 years old. Mm -hmm. And so she still had all these kids left at home to raise. Mm -hmm. But then when my uh, dad, which was her oldest son, uh, and my uh, mom got divorced, mm -hmm. my grandmother did not think it robbery to now have to take in my three siblings and myself. And, and when you talk about a woman of faith, she was that. And, and I just honor her even till this day. I often talk about my grandmother yeah. because she firmly believed that with God, you can do all things. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but yes, that was who I was raised by. And, uh, and like you, uh, my grandmother said, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. Yes. And so I went off to college to North Carolina, a &T State University. So I am an Aggie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so when I went off to school, I um, majored in chemistry mm -hmm. and uh, ended up having a uh, chemistry scholarship. But I always wanted to join the Air Force. And so some uh, kids were out recruiting one day and I uh, listened to their story. You know, today everybody talks about stories. And so I listened to their uh, pitch to me. And they said, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do. And the um, Air Force is really looking for those in the uh, science, technology, engineering, and math disciplines, basically just like the uh, STEM uh, career field today. And so I, uh, I said, well, I've got a little problem because I was supposed to go and work for um, Dow Chemicals when I, I graduated because they were sponsoring my uh, scholarship. And so they said, well, why don't you just go on over and talk to the professor of aerospace studies and, and I did that and I explained to him what was going on. And he says, well, let's go and talk with the uh, chairman of the chemistry department. And we'll definitely have to talk with the representative from Dow Chemicals. And so I set out there, you know, outside their conference room, just like a, you know, a kid in detention or something. <laughs> and I was waiting for them to make a, their, a decision. And I often tell people that uh, there was somebody at Dow Chemicals who obviously appreciated uh, what the military does uh, for our country because they um, not only allowed me uh, to keep my scholarship but also uh, go into the Air Force because I ended up uh, actually picking up a two-year Air Force scholarship after that. And so I often say, God, you know, you're always in control and oh, it was yeah. your plan that I would join the Air Force. And uh, I, by the grace of God, I, I stayed in and I was able to make colonel and a lot of uh, great assignments, experiences, and they uh, just helped me to you know, grow and become the person I am today. Wow. And that was going to be my question. Uh, my first question to you is how did your military training equip you to eventually rise to the level of Air Force Colonel and senior executive in the Department of Defense? Because, you know, I, I worked for the federal government for years, too, and I know it's not easy to get into that SES uh, position. And for a black female to rise to that level, even in the Air Force, to get to the level of colonel, mm -hmm. I know that was a journey. So tell us how the military, uh, that training equipped you to get to those, 
you know, a high level position? You know, I, those are wonderful questions because I can tell you this, that I always, I, I say, God, you got this for me because uh, there were a lot of uh, challenges and struggles. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I just said, I'm just going to give it my best. And, 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 and that was really it. It was uh, not settling for uh, just getting by, but actually always having to go that extra mile. And if I can just give this one example, when I was a young lieutenant, and, and I was in the career field that was called Com Electronics, mm -hmm. and it was basically a telecommunications and information systems career field for the mobile uh, sector. And, and I remember one time we had come back from a deployment, and as soon as we got back in, they said, Mary, we need for you to put together this awards package, and it's due by tomorrow. And I'm thinking, Really, you know, I just came in with everybody else from the field, and you want me to? And but I, I said that to myself. Right. <laughs> but I worked on that thing, and you know, mm -hmm. and I think from that point, I was starting to really set the pattern for you know, really just going after it and giving my best because we ended up winning that award. And uh, so, but it was a, a matter of just being determined that no matter what the obstacles were, because there were many, and and I you probably ask some of those questions about some of those challenges because there were some. Yeah. But, uh, I just believe in, you know, taking advantage of the education that the military provided and uh, just doing the very best I could in the jobs that were given to me. And, and I wasn't afraid to take on those tough jobs and and one of the things that I always tried to do was be prepared, you know, sometimes overly prepared because I remember at times when I would be given presentations and it was nothing for me to go into the conference room, uh, even if it may have been in another building and they would let me in. And I would go in there and actually practice in that room so that I got comfortable in that setting. And, uh, and so from that, I was being asked to participate in a lot of the, um, the, uh, the groups that that, um, you know, gave uh, presentations to those who would come in and visit. So I was on a lot of uh, speakers' boards, even in the military and stuff. And so I just said, Lord, you've given me this talent to speak and do all other kinds of things, and I want to do it to your glory. And so as you open the doors with me and my bosses, you know, Lord, I just thank you for building that um, relationship and stuff. And, and in terms of the SES, a lot of the jobs that I had, uh, on the colonel side of the house really uh, enabled me because one, for example, you know, with the SES, uh, they uh, ask you to submit what's called your CNF, uh, the, the ECQ's executive qualifications. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. and, and one in particular was building uh, coalitions. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the jobs, even though my primary job in the Air Force was um, telecommunications and information systems, cybersecurity, all of that stuff. But one job that I did as a career broadening assignment was um, as a political military affairs officer. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that that entailed was building coalitions with uh, my area was Sub-Saharan Africa. So traveled all over Africa, did a lot of this stuff, you know, really no kidding building coalitions and I said that experience 
really did help me, and, and especially when it came down to answering that particular uh, ECQ, my uh, executive core qualification. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, because I already had the leading people, leading teams, you know, managing this, you know, resources yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So the Air Force really did help. And I spent a lot of time at the department, at the office of the Secretary of Defense at OSD. And so I got a chance to see things at that level. And I actually went to the Pentagon early in my military career. So it's like that really did help me to understand why, you know, we need to be able to operate at this level. So it wasn't just that I, you know, just spent all of my time out in the field. But mm -hmm. yes, I got a chance to really work at the highest levels and that really did help me. Wow, that is phenomenal. And, you know, that's one of the things as a, a career coach too, to help women to get into those exec executive level positions. Your story is just so inspiring to let them know, you know, hey, you can do it, but there are also some things that you need to do to prepare yourself to get there. Mm -hmm. And that is um, uh, just listening to your story. And I, I knew it was gonna be, you know, it was just gonna be great. And that's why I wanted to hear um, how you got there because to be a Colonel in the Air Force and to be um, a senior executive in the federal govern uh, government on the civilian side, I mean that, you know, that's, that's a story in itself. That's a book, <laughs> that's a book. I can tell you that. And, and speaking of that, um, when we talk about books, I know that um, we're living in these turbulent times, especially now because of uh, diversity and inclusion, um, also the bullying uh, that we've, we've noticed. I know that you've written a book on how to lead without alienating, bullying, or destroying your team. What inspired you to write that book? Well, you know, it really goes back to what you just said. You know, we're living in an era in which people don't have a problem, you know, just um, it just really taking advantage of the people that work for them. They don't care how they treat them and, and all of that. And so when I wrote my book uh, two years ago now, uh, it was amazing that research that was made available to me because there were so many people out there who wanted to talk about their stories. So not only did I have my own experiences that I could write about, but the experiences from others who had actually uh, been bullied, some of them sexual harassed. It, it was just really a problem because we're talking about uh, dealing with the boss. It wasn't just a co-worker, but there were instances in which these people were actually actually bullied by their direct supervisor. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, what do you do when, when you are, when your boss is the, the culprit here? And so as I was doing my research, I found out that really 61% uh, of workplace bullies were bosses. And that was put out by the Workplace Bully Institute. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to try to put together a um, book that would help um, leaders not become part of that 61%. Okay. So, uh, but based on your research, what are the three reasons you think that people engage in um, this type of destructive behavior? 
Dr. Lewis, that is a wonderful question because throughout the book, you know, I talk about uh, a series of things that people engage in. But one of the things that I chose to introduce in the book was a concept that I call fog. And every time I talk about it, I always tell people, no, I'm not talking about the weather, even though it could be because some leaders, you know, sometimes when they don't really uh, know what's going on in their organizations, they walk around in a cloud. But in this particular particular case, FOG, it actually stands for false humility. The F stands for uh, false humility. Because when I did research for some of my other books, one of the things that a lot of the participants um, I talked about in my surveys was they loved the fact that bosses, leaders, they knew how to remain humble, mm. humble. But some people, when they get to that level, and I saw that a lot, yes. <laughs> that they just Kind of, mm. on the outside they appear to be humble but when push came to shove it was yes. all about them the decisions that they made everything it was all about them and so i often tell people do not engage in false humility and then we come to that o mm -hmm. and this is a big one mm -hmm. and the o stands for obsessed with power power mean that before yes and and you know i often tell people you know power in and of itself is a neutral term but power in the hands of a wrong leader or a crooked leader it, 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 it just takes power to a whole new different level. And at the time I wrote the book, there was a lot of discussions about, um, you know, sexual harassment, bullying, and all those kind of things, people not engaging in diversity in their organizations and so forth. And um, so it was just really reminding people that yes, you are the boss, but do not abuse your power. You know, use your power for the good of the organization. And, and it will, you know, create a, a better organization in the end for everybody. And so then it came down to the F-O-G. And uh, so the G in this particular case is guided by ego, ego, ego. And, and I often tell leaders, I said, who wants to be described by your subordinates as uh, being egotistical? Because yeah. it, what I normally do when I am training, I often tell people, okay, I want you to take this a little quick test. And I said, I want you to now really tell me, when it comes to your ego, how would you rate yourself? And then I give them some parameters and everything. And then I said, now, mm, you have given yourself this score. So what kind of score do you think your subordinates would give you or your teammates would give you? And they were like, oh, uh, <laughs> is, you see people start to do a little bit of, you know, because mm -hmm. I said, how you are perceived by those that you are hoping to influence as you, you know, uh, participate in leadership. Because I love what Do uh, Dr. John Maxwell often says. He says, if you're leading and nobody's following, all you're doing is taking a walk. <laughs> well, we wow, okay, I gotta take a note of that one. <laughs> we, we are leading and mm -hmm. people are actually following us, but we don't want to have an ego that is so big that it does nothing for the organization. So I tell people, to really, you know, monitor that ego. And, and that's just really one of the strategies that I talk about in the book. But mm -hmm. the whole idea is to uh, don't engage in false humility, don't become obsessed with power, and don't be guided by your ego. And that's just, like I said, one of the strategies. Wow, that is, 
that is, I, I mean, false humility, obsessed with power, and guide by ego. Mm -hmm. Wow, fog. So you're walking around in a fog. In a fog. And the thing about it is that I give examples of people who participated, you know, real case stories mm -hmm. of folks who actually had leaders that were like that. Wow. And I think we've all experienced that. You know, if, if you've been in the workplace or anywhere, even in, you know, military, and you, we've all experienced yes. uh, leaders that have, um, that are walking around in a fog. So uh, what can leaders do to kind of avoid that type of toxic behavior and, you know, kind of become the leaders that you would want to follow? Oh, that is a wonderful question also. Are you just full of all these questions? Uh, what I often tell people is, um, and this is another little concept that I introduced in the book, and it's uh, the 3L model. And I said, if you really want to be a leader that others really want to follow, you need to make sure that you're doing the 3L. And the 3L in this particular case is that you need to listen, mm -hmm so that you can learn and then you can lead more effectively. Because I don't know how many uh, times I have worked for bosses and they are coming in, oh, I got this, I, you know, that, that, mm -hmm. and they don't want to listen to their, you know, their uh, teammates. I keep using subordinates because that's what I grew up with, that term. But they don't want to listen to their team. And so then they'll go into a meeting unprepared, and I've witnessed this many times, and then they'll come back, and then now they want to jump all over their team for not having them prepared for their meeting. Their meeting. And boss, hey, you need to make sure that you know about this, this, and this. Oh no, I got this, because a lot of times it gets back to that ego. Mm -hmm. And uh, But I often tell people that you need to make sure that you practice some good listening techniques. And in the book, you know, I talk uh, specifically about you know, what it means to be a good listener so that you can engage and make sure that everybody feels like they are part of the organization. Because some of the things that I used to do when I was um, uh, a commander and, and so forth, even when I was a director, and we would have conference meetings and stuff. And if I notice people in a meeting, because I don't like to invite people to a meeting unless they have something to contribute, or you know, somebody is doing a mentor-mentee type of uh, situation, and they're just have, helping this person to grow. Because I like to be with my aunt. Uh, respectful of others times not just me as the boss but those working for me as well and I used to always make sure that you know when people came yes I'm looking for you to contribute and so what I would do a lot of times if it seemed like uh, a particular individual did not have anything to say whatever and, and I would throw out a question and I would say now John uh, tell me what, what do you think about this it, it, does this sound a good idea to you and I was always was just overjoyed when I would see how they would just jump in because some people are just quiet and but you you as the leader have to be able to recognize that so that you can pull that out of them and in one of the books that I wrote years ago I talked just specifically about a case with a young lady and I knew that she was a great leader and, and we had this big uh, project coming up and I said you know what I want so-and-so to lead this project and I brought her in and everything, got with her bosses and everything. And I said, you know, this is what I'm looking for, da da da, da. And she says, well, Dr. Gillum, I said, no, you're going to do it. And then we're going to make sure that, you know, you don't fail, da 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 da. And after that, she was like, 
she thanked me so much because I recognized that leadership in her. I was willing to give her that opportunity, but we had to get over that fear factor that she was experiencing. Yeah. And that young lady has thanked me so many times because I was willing to do that for her. And isn't that a great feeling to see how you, because you saw something in her that she didn't even realize was in herself, how, how it just, almost like the sun coming up, you know? Uh, it, it's, it's such a great feeling when you can actually see the results of, of, of taking an interest in someone and just um, kind of moving them along and, and helping them to see what you see in them, the potential that they have. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the books, and I didn't really want to you know, because I, I didn't see anything on this one. But this particular book, it was gifted to lead okay. four steps to recognizing your leadership potential. And oh. so since you mentioned potential, mm -hmm. I thought, mm -hmm, because wow. that's what I'm all about. And you as well. We look coach people into getting to that place of excellence that yes. they can own their yes. position. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. what would be, if you had to give um, one piece of advice to women that are trying to get up to that uh, executive level, even management level, to go beyond where they are right now. What would be your advice to them? Oh, that's a great question because I often, uh, when I'm doing training seminars, at least when I, uh, when we were in COVID-19 and all of that, but still, uh, what I used to always have uh, ladies to do is, is to talk about their training, their experiences, their education. And the reason I would do that, and I, I said now, look at all these things that you have done, all this talent that you have and all this education that you have. And now I want you to think internally, how can I own this so that when I go into the workplace, you know, I am projecting, I am projecting that kind of person. Because like with the young lady that I talked about earlier, this young lady was brilliant, but yet there was that fear that was keeping her back. And so we had to walk through how she can now own her leadership presence so that she, you know, her bosses would now look at her as somebody who can really take over this, lead this, and, you know, be a, a success for the organization. Because I often tell leaders, I women in particular, I, I said, you know, you are just as qualified as, you know, our brothers to be in these positions. And so therefore, we need to make sure that, number one, we are preparing ourselves. We're taking advantage of the training that is provided. We're taking advantage of opportunities to step out and lead. And that is something that I talk about all the time. If there's something that boss wants to, you know, get done and, and stuff and you can do it, then there's nothing wrong with volunteering to do something so that you can get that experience so that the next time when something comes up that may be a little bit more, you know, he'll think of you, he'll remember something. Mm. Because I, I don't, um, I know when I was in the government, they had all these different programs where they would uh, try to identify those leaders that they wanted to move and grow. Mm -hmm. We had the same thing in the military. 
And uh, so I, I would often tell you know people, especially those who are working for me, is that you need to make sure that your boss is aware of, of where, what you want to do and where you want to go. And don't be shy because I said this is an opportunity where it, it become, becomes uh, a choice between you and somebody else. You want him to lean toward you for all the right reasons. Absolutely. And that is because they see potential in you and they want to develop that potential. Wow, that is awesome. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you to uh, maybe get some guidance, some leadership, some mentoring, or, or even just to purchase your book, how can they do so? Uh, my website is Dr. Mary Gillum, and that is G-I-L-L-A-M <laughs> dot com. <laughs> It's drmarygillum.com, and all the information is there because um, a lot, all of my books and stuff are on uh, Amazon. I just want to like on Amazon, but if they go to my website, they can see everything that I've done. And if they want to get in contact with me directly, they can go through the website. Wow. Well, thank you so much for those words of wisdom and those success nuggets that you have provided to our listeners. Um, I hope that those out there listening, they were taking notes because I can tell you what I certainly was. I was sitting here taking notes <laughs> because I just feel that there's always something to learn and you can learn something new, like they say, every day. So I was definitely taking notes. So thank you again for being on the show, Dr. Gillum. Uh, this is the Successful Women's Show. I am Dr. Madeline Ann Lewis, your host. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can go to www.exwsi.com or my email is info at exwsi.com. And if you go to the website, please make sure that you download my free part, uh, uh, three part video series, which is three things every woman should do to position herself for executive leadership before you have the title. Or you can go uh, and down and um, enroll in my online course, which is Crack the Career Code, How to Lead with Confidence, Charisma, and Credibility. And to register for that, you would go to www.crackthecareercode.com. So again, I'd like to thank you for joining us on the Successful Women's Show. Thank my guest, Dr. Gillum. Um, to, you will get uh, be with us again when we bring you another phenomenal guest with their wisdom and success nuggets. So I will leave you with this to be well and stay safe out there until we meet again. <laughs>